rest of you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 20. Actually, we're going to pick up with the last verse of 19 and uh, follow along as I read for us this passage uh, as uh, Jesus interacts with the Jewish leaders, beginning in chapter 19, verse 47, and he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. And they could not find anything that they might do, for all the people were hanging on to every word he said. On one of the days, while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him, and they spoke to him, saying, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is the one who gave you this authority? Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you a question, and you tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people a parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also, and treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third. And this one also they wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him, so that the inheritance will be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. When they, that is the Jewish leaders, heard it, they said, May it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour. But they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. So they watched him, and they sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and authority of the governor. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, and you're not partial to any, but you teach the way of God in truth. 
Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a Daenerys. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people, and being amazed at his answer, they became silent. We're kind of jumping in here in Luke's Gospel. We have skipped over a fair portion uh, because... um, If you backed up a little bit, you would read about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and you would read about uh, Jesus going in and cleansing the temple and all of that. And and I'm uh, just kind of taking a leap over that until we come back to Luke in uh, the spring of the year and uh, approach Holy Week and and that uh, triumphal entry, uh, Palm Sunday and the resurrection uh, on Easter Sunday. We're going to save... Uh, this portion of Luke for that period of time. So I'm skipping ahead, but I want you to have the context because it's important to understand what's going on around uh, Jesus at this time. He has come to Jerusalem. He is in the temple. Um, He is teaching in the courtyard. And every day he is there, the scripture says, teaching and preaching, and the people are just hanging on to every word he has to say. Well, the Jewish leaders are becoming more and more frustrated and incensed. And uh, they are beginning to uh, send people to ask him questions that are intended simply to trip him up. Because they know if they can get him to say something publicly that will incense the people, then they, they will have the people on their side And they can discredit him. And in fact, the scripture says they're trying to destroy him. Uh, They want more than discrediting. They want to put an end to him. Uh, Another meaning of that word that's used there is to kill him. Uh, They are plotting and scheming to kill him. I put tongue-in-cheek somewhat parenthetically at the end of the introduction. kind of reminds me of the so-called Republican debates that are going on right now with the media. (laughs) Nobody's interested in what anybody's position is, but they are certainly scheming to trick trick everybody and trap them uh, in something they say so that they can discredit them. It's just kind of humorous to watch. In fact, the more I study this passage and the more I look at the present political climate in our own country, the more I see parallels. You know, some things just never change, and politics is one of them. And uh, these Jewish leaders, they're not so much interested in uh, what's really right. They're just interested in maintaining power. And they will do anything it takes to stay, uh, you know, in office. That's their goal. They want to be sure that they're not uh, dislodged from their position of power. So, um, Jesus is teaching. He's presenting, the Scripture says... Uh, the, the, the teaching and the preaching of the gospel and the good news and explaining the scriptures. And, and uh, the Jewish leaders are uh, trying to, to catch him. And so um, they present him with a question. Who gave you this authority? 
Now, the, the atmosphere of the courtyard of the temple was such that, um, you know, you could go in the courtyard and, and, and you could teach. Um, as long as you didn't try to mess with the temple itself, as long as you were uh, of Jewish descent, um, you know, if, if anybody would listen, you could, you could talk. They, they often met in little groups and uh, had discussions and talked about the law and talked about these things. And so what Jesus was doing was not particularly unusual, uh, except that he was attracting the crowds and they were flocking to him. They, they were hanging on every word he said. Uh, he was just mesmerizing them with, with the power of his teaching. And so... Um, the, the, the leadership goes to him and says, where did you get this authority? What makes you think you can just come into the courtyard and, and get all the people coming to you? Where are the teachers? What are you doing? Where's your authority coming from? And uh, they pose the question, is it from heaven or is it from men? And what they're hoping to do is either get him to say, well, my authority is from heaven in which case they're going to attack him along the angle of blasphemy. You're claiming to be anointed of God. Who do you think you are? Or, if he says from men, they're going to say, so what's the big deal? How come everybody's listening to you? How come all you people are listening to him? He just admitted that he doesn't have any authority, really. So, so they're hoping to get him in the uh, crux of that decision and force him to acknowledge one thing or the other. And so he answers by saying, well, let me just ask you a question. Uh, before I get to yours, let me throw something out to you. How about John? Was his baptism from heaven or from men? And they, you know, they reason to themselves and they think, wow, <laughs> we didn't like John. We didn't want to have anything to do with him, but everybody else loved him and thought he was a prophet sent from God. So if we say that he was from men, the people may stone us. And, and if we say it was from heaven, then the question is going to be, well, why didn't you go get baptized and follow him? So they don't know how to answer that question. And uh, so they just kind of shrug their shoulders and says, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to answer your question either. Uh, you, you can't figure it out. I'm not going to give you any help with, with who I am. Because really, and this is something we need to recognize, as we move toward the cross, and, and as we come back uh, in the time of Holy Week, and we, we reconsider some of these things, one of the things that uh, is a hard pill to swallow is that the Jewish leadership knew what they were doing. They were not deceived. They were not ignorant. Uh, they were not mistaken. They knew what they were doing. They perceived what was going on. Uh, whether they understood him to be divine or not, I'll leave that question open. But they knew he was from God. 
and they did not like what he was saying. And, and this is what uh, provoked Jesus as he approached Jerusalem to weep over Jerusalem, saying, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to you. Um, they have a history of rejecting the very ones that God sends. And so, Jesus uh, says, let me tell you this parable. And, and we read it, so I'm not going go to go over it again in detail, but, but you gather the gist of the parable. That as Jesus talks about the vine grower uh, and the owner, he's talking about God, and he's talking about Israel. I mean, this is very obvious in the parable. The, the person who owns the vineyard is God himself. And he has given a stewardship of trust to the leaders and elders of the nation of Israel to keep the nation on track with God. And as time goes along, God is looking for his appropriate and just return. He's looking for a people that will appreciate his goodness to them. He's looking for people that will acknowledge him as rightful Lord, that will honor him with the first fruit of their labor, that will recognize who he is in their life. He is the owner, sustainer, and supplier of the vineyard. And so the time comes when it's time to uh, reap some of the harvest and to take what is rightfully his. And who does he send? As these vine growers begin to move away from him, he sends the prophets, and he sends the teachers, and and he sends those who will call them back to God and to justice. And what happens every time he sends them a prophet? They reject them. They stone them. They run them out of town. They put them to death. And so, again and again and again, Israel, throughout its history, has rejected those whom God has sent to turn their hearts. And so, in the story that Jesus is telling, the owner of the vineyard says... What shall I do? I know I will send my beloved son. Maybe they will listen to him. Now I want you to realize that God was not musing in heaven over how this would turn out. Um, We know from the foundation of the world that God knew how this would turn out. And we know that he had a plan already in place that would bring redemption not only to Israel, but to the whole human race. But in the story, uh, as Jesus cast it in the framework of a parable, the owner of the vineyard supposes that surely they will listen to my son. But yet, when the sun shows up, they say to themselves, Ha! Here's the heir! Let's kill him! And then we can 
usurp and take over the vineyard for ourselves. And there is the foreshadowing of the cross. And we know how this is going to turn out. And furthermore, it pricks to the heart the conscience of these religious leaders and Jewish leaders because that's exactly what they're plotting to do. They're scheming, and Jesus knows it. They're plotting to kill Him. And He's basically uh, bringing it right out in the open. And oh boy, do they get frustrated. And Jesus talks about the, the stone which the builders rejected, the chief cornerstone. He says the, the owner of that vineyard is going to judge them and destroy them. And, and they cry out, may that never be. And Jesus says, well, you've read about the stone, the chief cornerstone. And everyone who stumbles over it will be broken. And those upon whom it falls will be crushed. I pondered over that verse for a while. It's, it's a little bit puzzling when you think about it. <laughs> it's like, what, what does that mean exactly? And so I did some, some research into it. And um, basically, here's, here's the picture that Jesus is painting, which, which they would have understood. Not too many of us have been uh, builders of big buildings, and so we're, we're missing some of this. But they would, find, uh, they would find a stone that they could hew out and craft that would be a, a perfect cornerstone. And they would bring it to the building site. Before it was installed, they, it would be delivered to the site. That happens with all building materials, doesn't it? <laughs> you figure out what you need, you order it, truck brings it in, drops it off, and then uh, you get the crane or whatever it is you're going to need to put it in place, and, and, and you build with it. And what Jesus is saying is, before the cornerstone is placed, it's on the site. And those who stumble over it will be broken. This is pre-cross. This is pre-Calvary. And he's saying to the people and to the leaders, I'm here on the site. And if you do not pay attention to me, if you don't listen to me, but stumble over me, you're going to be broken. But there will come a time when I am placed in the structure. And as that stone is set into place, anyone who is under it is going to be crushed by it. After the resurrection, in that day when God enthrones Him, all those who have rejected Him will be crushed by His placement. It's, it's a fascinating picture of the opportunity before Calvary and the consequences after Calvary, that those who respond to His teaching now, like the crowd hanging on every word, they're not going to be broken. They're going to be incorporated into the building. They're going to be part of that living temple. But those who reject Him are going to stumble over that cornerstone. And then when He is enthroned as King of kings, Lord of lords, the cornerstone of the temple of God, He will crush those who have rejected Him. It's an awesome thing that He is saying to them. And uh, so, they're getting more frustrated. 
they understand this is all about them. And they right now, they're ready to just get their hands on him and choke him to death. They are, they are incensed. They're ready to kill him on the spot. But they can't because he's so popular. And the people are so enamored by him and so captivated by him that they, they know if they so much as try to touch him, there will be an uprising and they will lose favor. So now what do we do? Well, they back up and they come up with another scheme. I like the way the scripture says they come up with these people that are pretending to be righteous. You know, ever meet people like that? They sugarcoat themselves. They look like they're really, really good, <laughs> but they're not so good. And uh, they're going to pretend to be righteous. And notice how thickly they lay it on. You know, um, uh, they, they watch him for the opportunity. And, and this is just dripping with that sugarcoating. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly and are not partial to any. Wow. You know, but you teach the way of God in truth. We know this. So we have a question for you, righteous, good teacher. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? We're back to the elections, aren't we? <laughs> it's all about taxes. <laughs> it's amazing to me how some things just never change. And here's the Jewish dilemma, and the dilemma they're putting Jesus in. The Jews were under Roman rule. They couldn't deny that. All they had to do was look in any direction, and they would see, uh, you know, a Roman soldier or a centurion or a garrison somewhere. Uh, there was evidence of Rome all around them, and they hated it. They hated every day. They hated every soldier. They hated every bit of it. They knew they were under authority of Rome. They knew if they tried to rebel, they, were, they would get squashed. But they would not, under any circumstances, acknowledge the rightful rule of Rome. They were the people of God. They were in the land of Israel. This was their land by birth and by divine decree and by golly, they were not going to submit in their heart to any foreign power. End of story. So, taxes was always a sore spot because they hated every Daenerys they paid. They hated it. Because they resented Rome. They even printed their own money, stamped their own money, minted it for the temple. It was temple coinage, and that was what the money changers were doing in the courtyard. You would come in with Roman coins and change them into the legitimate temple coins so that you could honor God appropriately with the taxes of the temple. And they didn't even want Roman money on the, on the premises. And so here's the question. If Jesus said, well, of course you ought to pay your taxes, everybody would hate him. 
because it was an admission that Rome had the right to rule them. If he said, no, you don't have to pay your taxes, he was dead meat. (laughs) The Romans would take care of him. They wouldn't even have to worry about it. So, here's the dilemma. And how does Jesus respond? Let me have one of those coins. Anybody got a Daenerys on them? Okay. Whose picture is this? Well, that's Caesar. All right. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to God. What a great answer. No way to trap him. Nobody can complain. He has not violated anybody's rules. (laughs) There's no offense. The guy that asked the question goes, Well, I don't think I'm going to be asking anymore. Matter of fact... All the rest of them they'd put up to it. It says he silenced them all because they weren't about to to ask him any more questions. Next week we're going to look at what the Sadducees have to say. But uh, before we get there, there's a couple of things I want to draw, draw out from today's lesson besides the obvious for the takeaways, observations and lessons from the master teacher. The scripture says that when the word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit accompanies the preaching of the word, and it is anointed. And anointed preaching and teaching draws people who are hungry. And every place the gospel goes, I believe this with all my heart, every place the gospel goes, God is preparing people. He is bringing their conscience awake. He is giving them hunger and thirst after God. The scripture says, on uh, on one's own, there's none who seek for God. But when the Holy Spirit becomes involved with the anointed teaching and preaching of the Word, there develops within the human heart a hunger as the Holy Spirit begins to awaken the the human spirit. and, And there's a recognition inside, that's what I've been hungry for. Augustine put it this way, there's a God-shaped void in every person. And until God fills it, there's no satisfaction. And now the hunger has been awakened. And as Jesus brings anointed teaching, the people are hanging on every word he has to say. We can often recognize anointed teaching I have to introduce this caveat, assuming it's the Word of God that is being faithfully proclaimed, people are hungry to hear it. There's a lot of stuff that goes on out there that draws a crowd that's not anointed, um, because it tickles the ears of those who listen. 
But when it's truly faithful to the Word of God, there is an anointing that comes with it. And people who have been, uh, whose appetites have been wet for God become hungry for Him. And the crowds will come. Jesus is consciously aware of his identity. You know, this is one of the things that, that people um, discuss uh, when theologians don't have anything else to do. <laughs> they talk about, when did Jesus know he was, know he was God? And uh, you might say, oh, that's easy. I, he always did. Well, probably not, because if you think about it, uh, he was born a baby, laid in a manger. Um, he had to grow and learn just like everyone else. He was not omniscient. He didn't pop out of the womb and say, Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. I'm from God. <clears throat> Glad you could be here to greet me. He had to grow. And so somewhere along the way, he had to become aware of his identity through the study of scriptures and through prayer. And so there's discussion. Well, when did that happen? And some people wonder if he ever figured it out. Yeah, they do. <laughs> but there's no question in this parable. Jesus as he tells the story, there's no question who he is in the story. He is the son, the beloved son of the vineyard owner. He is clearly the eternal son of God. And as he moves toward Calvary, he knows. He knew, I think he knew a long time before now. But if there was ever any doubt in your mind, if somebody challenges you, here's, here's an answer for you. He, he, knew, he knew for sure. Now, lastly, and this is where a lot of people get into trouble. It's this little thing that wags around in our mouth, between our teeth and our behind our lips, you know. We love to hear the sound of our voice. And uh, sometimes we just like a good argument. But there are lessons here in handling critics and those who are argumentative. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 is an interesting uh, couple of verses. It says, Do not answer a fool in his folly, lest you be like him. And then the next verse says, Answer a fool as his folly deserves. And you say, well, wait a minute. The first one says, don't answer him. The second one says, answer him. But the first one says, don't answer him in his folly, lest you be like him. And the second one says, Answer him the way his folly deserves. It's the same answer for both verses. Don't bother. Don't answer. <laughs> There's no point getting into an argument with a fool. If a person has their mind made up and they just want to bait you into an argument, there's no point going there. They're not teachable. There is no value in trying to teach someone who knows everything? You can't tell them a thing. They're not teachable. And the Scripture says, just don't get involved in that. You notice Jesus doesn't argue with these Jewish leaders. He just turns the tables on them and moves on. 
And they're kind of left standing there with their mouths hanging open. Like, what just happened? Proverbs 10.19 says, Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. In other words, the more you talk, the more likely you are to say something stupid. Or even sinful. And it's better off to have a conservation of words than to babble on like the fool. This is one for every Bible study leader. Second <clears throat> Timothy 2.14 Do not wrangle over words because it only leads to the ruin of the hearers. You have people in a study group or people you're having a conversation with and they just want to argue about some picky little point. And they want to pull you in and have this big debate. Do you know how many times people can just skew the whole focus of a study by taking you on a rabbit trail that doesn't amount to a hill of beans? And so we are encouraged. Paul says, well, it's not encouragement. It's actually a commandment. Don't wrangle over words. Don't get sucked into those petty arguments, uh, you know, over all the little details that we don't have good answers to anyway. James 3, 2 says, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle the tongue. And that's a tough member to bridle. And I leave you with this one. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. In other words, to build up, to encourage according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Friends, those of us who know the Lord have been given the Spirit of God and the Spirit of love that we might be a blessing to one another. The words that come out of our mouths should be words that build up, that encourage, that bless, that fortify, that strengthen. Not words that tear down. Not words that belittle. Sometimes you have to have those tough conversations, but even then the goal should be building up, bringing Maturity, promoting uh, godliness, so that people are blessed by what we say and not wounded. Jesus, if you study his speech, he is very, very careful in what he says. And how he deals with the Jewish leaders in this passage is quite a lesson for us to take away. Father, as we consider the events surrounding this last week in Jesus' life upon the earth, 
before the cross. As the cauldron of hate and animosity and jealousy begins to heat up. And the leaders of the nation of Israel, your chosen people, begin to reject and plot to kill the beloved Son. Lord, I pray that we would cherish Him all the more, love Him all the more deeply, submit to Him all the more fully, learn from Him, hang on to His every word. Lord, that You would build us up in the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask it in His precious name. Amen.